0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Shauna Laughlin, and it's just me today. I'm all alone. Maddie and Justin, unfortunately, we're not available to be here for the recording of this episode today, so uh, you're stuck with me. Sorry about that. But I have a really great guest on today. I'm speaking with Sheila Lucero from Jack's Fish House and Big Red F Restaurant Group. She has been a part of opening a number of Jack's Fish House restaurants in Colorado and one in Kansas City, and they have a real strong initiative surrounding responsible seafood and making sure that they're serving safe, healthy, sustainable seafood to all of their guests. And we had a really great conversation. So before we get into that, I want to remind everybody to please subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen to podcasts so you can get every episode directly downloaded onto your device automatically so you can listen to it whenever you want as soon as they're released. And if you want to contact us, like Justin always says, make sure you go to globalseafood.org, click on the Aquademia podcast tab up on the top, and there's a Contact form right there on the website. You can contact us if you want to be on the show. If you have topic suggestions, if you just want to tell us how much you love us, we'll take that too. But definitely get in contact with us. We want to engage with our listeners and um, you know just spread the love and spread the uh, the good word of seafood and build out this community. You can also connect with us on social media. We are on Twitter. We are at Aquademia Pod. You can connect with us there as well. Lastly, make sure that you rate and review the show wherever you listen. Particularly if you're on Apple Podcasts. Uh, or Google, Google Podcasts, I think you can do this on Google Podcasts as well. But go ahead, give us a five-star rating, give us a little written review, tell us uh, what you like about the show, maybe what you'd like to hear more of about the show. Those reviews really help us kind of work that algorithm to get up on some of these ratings lists and get just get in front of more people so more people can hear the show and, and join the community. So make sure you do that. Enjoy this conversation I had with Sheila, and I will talk to you at the end. All right, so I'm sitting down with Sheila Lucero from Jack's Fish House. How's it going, Sheila? Thanks for joining us.
1: Fantastic. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for joining me, I guess. As I said in the intro, uh, it's just me and Sheila today. Maddie, Maddie and Justin are not available to join us. They both had other things come up. So uh, sorry for everyone that tunes into the show just to listen to them. I understand, but uh, you're stuck with me today. So, <laughs> um, So Sheila has been... Did you... Did you open Jack's Fish House?
1: No. Um, I started at our second location um a couple years after the first one was open.
0: Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about Jack's Fish House, but she has been a part of the sustainable seafood initiative with Jack's Fish House for quite some time and there's some interesting obstacles that she's had to face. But before we get into it, Sheila, I was wondering if you could take a little time and just kinda introduce yourself, say who you are, where you came from and how you ended up what you're doing doing what you're doing now
1: sure thanks Sean Um, my name is Sheila Lucero I'm a chef Um, I most recently my role has kind of changed I'm a culinary director for our restaurant group called the Big Red F restaurant group Um, we currently have about 15 restaurants under that umbrella Jack's Fish House is one of those uh, brands Um, we have six Jack's um, five are in Colorado and we have one in Kansas City And um, I've kind of been a part of Jack's through my cooking career starting back in the 90s and um, have kind of followed that the growth of the group and opening restaurants and sourcing seafood um, for the last two decades um, with Jack's and just kind of um, my roles evolved over the years. But Jack's is still a huge part of my day-to-day and a huge part of my heart and everything that goes along with it.
0: So how did you... Okay. So you're a chef and you got involved with Jack's Fish House. Did you, when you were going through uh, culinary school and everything, what made you want to focus more on seafood or did that kind of just kind of fall into your, onto your plate, pun intended?
1: Uh, (laughs) um, I I grew up in Colorado and Seafood was pretty unknown to me growing up. There wasn't a lot of available landlocked. Yeah. And, and, you know, in the eighties, well, you might not know, but for us in the eighties, there wasn't a lot of access to seafood. Um, and so for me, I was really limited in that, in that world and didn't know anything about seafood at all. And, um, in culinary school, I was just kind of sponging up everything and interested in everything and mm-hmm. um, really knew that I, I I loved restaurants, and that was the path that I wanted to be on. Um, there was a, a restaurateur, his name is Dave Query, who is my boss, um, was opening restaurants in Boulder and in Denver, and he opened a Jack's Fish House in Boulder in um, 1994, I lived in Denver, I was going to school in Denver, and he had opened, i just heard that he had opened um, a Jack's in downtown Denver, and I really wanted to check it out. I had had a colleague in school that worked for him at one of his other concepts in Boulder and just raved about the restaurant culture and the the talent in that in that kitchen, and I was interested, but I didn't want to go to Boulder, so I was excited to check out this new restaurant, a little intimidated by the fact that it was seafood because I didn't know anything about it. hadn't really eaten a lot of it either. So um, went and did a little stage in the kitchen and fell in love with the culture there. Even before the food, it was just like, wow, there's a really good group of people here that are uh, really in love with what they do and love seafood and love food in general. And so that was kind of my hook in. And there was just, I was didn't really see myself sticking with seafood for as long as I have. I just wanted to learn about seafood, and I'm still learning about seafood. So here I am 24 years later, still still completely interested and passionate and um, heavily involved in, in the seafood world.
0: Yeah. Well, aren't we all? That's why we're here. Do you think – is that more common? Like, as a chef, there's so many different things that you can – I feel like most chefs kind of specialize. They end up specializing in something, right? Whether it's seafood or, you know, whether you're pastry chef or, you know, you kind of like find your your thing that you that you stick with. Do you think it's more common like for people to go down the path that you took, where you find a place where you are hooked in by the culture and the people of a specific restaurant or a restaurant group or a, you know whoever you're working with. Before you decide kind of where you are going to, I don't want to use the word settle because settle is, you know, we, no one really ever settles, but um, where you kind of like start to niche down and decide what your specialty is going to be, or maybe it's decided for you. But do you think that the culture and the people is what brings Chef into that role more frequently? Or is it the other way around?
1: Man, I the. That's tough. I think it can, kind of goes both. Asking ways. Asking the hard-hitting questions, <laughs> right? You know, right uh, out of the bat. I'm ready. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it goes both ways. I, I feel so fortunate that I was exposed to that kind of cool co- culture and and familial vibe right from the get-go. So early in my career, um, and wanted to hold on to that. Like even if I would have left Jax, I, I wanted to create. I've always said I've wanted to create that environment. For all the restaurants, even when we're opening a new restaurant, mm-hmm. it's a very uh, this this. It, I think I'm kind of an anomaly because I've been in one place for so long, or part of a group for as long as I have in this industry. Um, you don't see that all too often. Right. But a, a lot a lot of that has to do with our, our culture of our of our restaurant group and what we are trying to um, create um, this experience for, for not only our guests, but for everyone that works with us, um, to be excited to come to work and, and, and do it every day. Um, there's some, there's some culture there that's an environment of learning and familial and it, lifelong friends. And there's, there's a lot of great things to take from it. So, um, I, I just feel fortunate that that, that's how I landed.
0: That, yeah, that's the path that you took, right? I feel i feel like everyone we've spoken with a couple of people from colorado actually and i feel like that tends to be the culture in that area anyway um i feel like people in colorado tend to be because i'm in new hampshire i'm in new england and new england is a a fast-paced like just get out of my way if you're not with me you're against me kind of feel in a lot of ways and um I feel like everyone I've spoken to from Colorado, and I've had family that have gone and lived there for a little bit of time. It just seems like a much more welcoming and embracing environment of like, let's all work together and let's help each other be successful. Uh, is that kind of what you grew up feeling with everyone for around sure. you? Yeah,
1: for sure. In the restaurant community, I, I, am so we were so lucky to be in a in a couple of cities that really we lean on each other. We lift each other up. We help each other out. We share employees. There's just a really great hospitality industry here and there always has been, and it's, it's deep rooted. And, um, I, I hope that we continue to be leaders in that. Uh, it's, it's a tough industry and
0: yeah. Well, especially that, right
1: now. Yeah. And I, and we've, we've been through the ringer and I think that without one another, we wouldn't have been able to survive a lot of this stuff that we're going through.
0: Yeah. Uh, we we had a lot of people come on the show uh, in 2020 to talk about how they had to pivot and how they had to, like, adjust because of COVID and everything, especially because restaurants, uh, you know, a lot of the people that we spoke to were either distributors or producers, and a lot of that fish and shellfish and everything goes to restaurants and goes to food service, which can't sell to those guys you know, when earlier in, in last year. So what, what did you have to do to kind of pivot uh, in during that time? And, and how's it been working out for you? It seems like you guys kind of have it figured out.
1: Oh, uh, thanks. Yeah. You're I, I, working
0: I, on it. I'm yeah. Sure.
1: Every day um, there's, you know, there's curve balls thrown all the time. So we're just, uh, we're still living it. And I think again, just pumped to be surrounded by a lot of really smart people and, and, that we, we made some decisions early on. We did close Jack's, um, when everything kind of shut down
0: all locations, uh,
1: all locations for a couple months. We Uh had a couple other concepts that we wanted to funnel our people to and focus on that seemed to translate a little bit better to the takeout model. Um, we have a fried chicken restaurant and a barbecue restaurant, and those seem to be, um, uh, they resonated with people. They were already doing a lot of takeout volume, and Jax just wasn't known for that ever. And so, we thought it'd be best to to uh, to lock them down for a little bit, give it a breather, and, and focus our efforts on the other concepts. But what we did do shortly after the closure is we were we were hearing a lot of feedback from regular, you know, people out there in the, in the social social media world, kind of hitting us up and just saying, "Hey, we miss you. Hope you guys are doing all right." Um, and that kind of got our brains going on like, Hey, let's do some pop-up stuff. Let's bring back some Jack's favorites and we'll teach, we'll show videos and teach people how to cook our food. They can take it home. So we did that. We, that was, that was fun. It was, it was a lot of work, especially trying to reopen a restaurant that had been shuttered and bring in food. And, and so, and create the, we hadn't really put food, our food in boxes and and then also in boxes uncooked and trying to figure out how to make that stuff travel well. Oh
0: yeah, wow, what a learning curve. And yeah. and that I feel like, you know, trying to move from the regular restaurant model to more of a takeout model is going to be so much harder for something like Jack's than it would for something like a fried chicken place, right? Because a big part of what Jack's is is a oyster bar, correct? Right. I I mean, how is takeout raw oysters going to how successful <laughs> can that really be, you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and we and we actually had a pretty hard stand for years on not doing takeout oysters, just because we didn't want to be liable for
0: right, yeah,
1: someone that doesn't know how to handle them or or gets sidetracked and and goes to their son's baseball game or something. Right, exactly.
0: And out. then, but you're eating raw oysters that are, have been you know out sitting in the sun for two yeah. hours. Uh, yeah. Nobody needs that, because <laughs> <laughs> not only is there potential for food safety risks, there's also you know, if they don't do it correctly, then they're not going to like it and it's going to be disgusting to them and they're never going to come back and then you lose right. business that way. So yeah, there's that's two sides
1: a, of it. For sure. There's a little bit of that, though. We also wanted to kind of hold close because we we didn't want to give them all our secrets, right? Like right, we, yeah, we yeah. still wanted to come back when we open and, and enjoy, inject, enjoy the Jacks I remember. So um, yeah. it, it was, looking back on it, it was crazy. And um, <laughs> we did it and, yeah, and we're love. better for it.
0: It was amazing to see how a lot of these restaurants kind of what what they had to implement. I saw a lot of restaurants around me. They were just like, well, we're just going to put tables out in our parking lot and just block off half the parking lot. (laughs) We can only have half the capacity anyway, so we don't need this many parking spaces. And they just like put a big temporary tent up. And it was just interesting to see how it was handled in different places. Um, And I will say that for me, seafood, the seafood restaurants were at least where I am. They were the last ones. I feel like it was more difficult for seafood restaurants i don't know why it may may maybe some of the reasons we just talked about but i don't think there's a lot of people doing takeout seafood uh, like taking like when you think takeout you think burgers and chicken and pizza and all that so um, that was probably part of it maybe the the demand was not quite there enough for them to open but it's it's just it was interesting to see so now you're up fully operational Yep back, yep. back in business. Feeling back good. Back
1: in business. Back at it. 100% occupancy. Oh, love Busy, it. Busier than ever, which is great. It feels good. But we're still there's still things. Like, there's supply chain issues. There's right. uh, uh-huh. staffing issues. Staffing is the thing.
0: That, oh, that's for everyone. Like, yeah. yeah everyone anyone just... who employs a human <laughs> being is having trouble with staffing issues. Right yeah. Yeah.
1: So that that that's our next that's our focus now is just staying healthy and, and doing what we do best.
0: So I'm guessing the response to the pandemic in Colorado was pretty collaborative and positive since you were able to come back at 100 percent. I mean,
1: yeah, uh, was there
0: a lot of opposition to guidelines or mandates or anything or were people pretty receptive?
1: People were receptive. I, I, I think, yeah, nice. it, they they wanted to. They want, they want to have their favorites back and they want right, to yeah. kind of respect that too. And I think they all uh, – there's a level of everybody kind of understanding what one another has gone through. Um, and so, yeah, we feel fortunate that we're able to, to be back and that our guests are, are back and, and and respectful of the things that we still um, are, are dealing with.
0: Yeah. Are you still requiring any – mandates or any masks or anything like that we're like wearing you have strict guidelines
1: our, yeah our employees are wearing masks we're wearing masks in-house um and in boulder it's a a, a mandate that you wear masks indoors so it, when the guests come into the restaurant they have to wear a mask but not at their table
0: right yeah that's what i'm seeing a lot of yeah um and i prefer that I, I i would be fine if you know the mask thing just kind of became a regular part of our yeah. culture here in america yeah i've I've gone to China a few times in the past few years, and it's just part of the culture there and it's no, it's not strange to see people walking around in masks if they're you know have a cough or something. Why can't that just be part of the culture here? but that's another conversation <laughs> We're a seafood podcast, not a political podcast, so <laughs> I don't want to get into that, but so let's get into kind of the meat and potatoes why we brought you on here because I am fascinated you guys actually reached out to us, I believe. And um, I'm really glad that you did because it was fascinating to me to think about how you can have such a strong emphasis on sustainable and responsible seafood when you're in, uh, you're completely landlocked. All of your restaurants are nowhere near the ocean. (laughs) Um, And it's hard to get, let alone fresh seafood, but Responsible and sustainable seafood into an area like where you guys are. So, so how have you been able to maintain this level of integrity with your your product and your restaurant? What what has been some of the challenges facing that, and how have you approached it?
1: I think uh, it kind of started with the mindset that. It wasn't just seafood; it was kind of everything. Let's let's really be responsible and support as much as we can. It sounds funny saying support local, but the, there's a lot of other things on our plates besides seafood. So,
0: right, right, Where
1: yeah. where we're at, we're trying to support our local farmers, and um, and then with with the seafood side of it, um, it kind of started with our vendors and having those conversations um, about where they're where they're sourcing, and, the, and I was asking the questions. I had always used um, Seafood Watch as kind of my guiding light as far as writing menus and developing our, our dishes. That was my resource and my go-to of like, okay, what am I doing right? Am I, is this a good choice? Is this, it, So I used the, that website for years and years and years before we were in partners with them mm-hmm. um, just to help me kind of stay on track. Um, and then I would talk to um, our vendor. We have a a vendor here in Colorado, Northeast Seafood, that we've used throughout. And when I, I would ask those questions about, you know, where is this coming from? Are we in season? And over the years, we, we div- we're on the phone all the time with them, but you start to realize, like, I have a whole calendar of, like, what's in season, what's not in season um, that helps all of us kind of stay on track. Um, but when we started to become uh, a restaurant partner with um, Seafood Watch in the aquarium, that really pushed our vendors as well to understand these are these are the acceptable products. These are the things that um, here's a list. Check these boxes before we can buy. So that's really helped us, and we established that years ago. So it makes it easier for our our chefs to have that that purchasing power. They already know that the seafood that we're bringing in, we've done the homework and um, they, it's acceptable. So. Um, It kind of it's been a little bit of a journey, but over time you start to really build these relationships and connections. And um, I think a lot of that was driven by, you know, uh, the passion that we have as chefs to connect that those dots for our guests um, and tell a story and, and do that work. But the guests are also asking the questions too. I,
0: that's what I was going to ask. Do they seem interested? Do they seem like this is something that's important to them? Obviously, yeah. it's important to you, and it's the right thing to do. But from a consumer point of view, are they? Is this? What are they looking for that too?
1: Yeah, I think more so now than ever, and it's kind of cool to see how things have evolved, especially as a consumer myself and going to the grocery stores and things like that, starting to see way more access to things that that are naturally from the coast or from the water. We we mm-hmm. see a lot more of that and really good quality stuff. And that's a lot of that is consumer driven and people asking questions and um, wanting to know where their food comes from. I think one of the biggest challenges is connecting with really great people or really great fishermen that I've met. And then it's like, well, okay, how are we going to get it here? Um, and it's not sustainable for, for, we're not set up as restaurateurs to, drive to DIA every morning, our airport in Denver every morning, and then deliver to six restaurants or five restaurants across the state. So we're still trying to make those kind of connections with our vendors and fishermen too. So that's Mm -hmm. been fun.
0: So primarily you can get, I mean, with technology now, you can get stuff that's like flash frozen on the boat and it's shipped and it's to your restaurant within days. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's pretty, pretty amazing to think about when when you are so far from the ocean um have you had any hang ups with that have you is it been a struggle to kind of set up those lines of you know getting the the product to your restaurant
1: um i mean there's there's And
0: i sometimes... sure there were more challenges because when covid hit you know it was like all of the go- the ghost flights were you know <laughs> kind of shut down and re- well, redirected and stuff but
1: yeah i think what a lot of people don't know is a lot of our food and seafood in particular flies on on um, commercial planes, like mm-hmm. they're in they're in the belly of a plane. So yeah, there was there was some disruptions there. Um, but we also we I think it was more after we were reopening where we saw a lot of supply chain issues. Um, just there wasn't the volume to drive things, and um, quite honestly, a lot of our vendors were a little worried about bringing on product or just making sure that there was. A, a way to for them to move it too.
0: to move it yeah
1: yeah those yeah. were the big ones
0: crazy so what have been some of the biggest challenges other than the last year uh, that you kind of had to overcome when, when building this up so you came on the second location yeah and there's uh, there's six now
1: there's six now yeah so the second location opened um i started in 97 Um, I was still in culinary school, um, so I hadn't really taken a, a a chef role yet, but eventually worked my way up and kind of just followed the footsteps of, um, my mentor. Um, his name is, uh, Jamie Fader. And he just, he really taught me a lot about seasonality and, and also listening to our guests. I think that was a big one too. I'm really proud of the, the information that we give our, our wait staff and, and the education that, um, we kind of try to try to give to our guests too. And I think that a lot of our guests ask for that. So that's been a path that is, I I don't think it's challenging. It's a lot of fun Mm. to take this information of, um, that we get from our vendors or from our connections, whether it's an oyster farm and we have a story or we know the oyster farmers, um, and relaying that to our guests. I think that the guests really love that, um, that connection to, to their food.
0: Do you get a lot of your oysters from like Chesapeake Bay or?
1: Yeah, we actually yeah. work, uh, we're pretty tight with Rappahannock River oysters.
0: Okay. And yeah. they're
1: um, pretty close to the Chesapeake. They're on the Rappahannock mm-hmm. River, but funny story with uh, the Croxton uh, cousins who started the, they didn't start it. They're like third generation, but um, the oyster farm hadn't really been in in working. They, it had been laid basically fallow for a generation or so. And they decided to stop what they were doing, and let's do this. Let's be oyster farmers. Let's bring back the the family oyster farm. And in the mid two thousands, they came literally to the back door of Jack's and and pull up in a car, and they they asked, "Hey, I was actually taking out the trash," and they said, "Hey, it's Chef Sheila here." And and I was, I said, "Well, I'm I'm Sheila." And said, "Well, we hey, we're Travis and Ryan Croxton. We're uh, we have an oyster company in in Virginia, and we we have some oysters we want you to try." and they open up the trunk of their car and i was like are you kidding me like <laughs> you want me to eat your oysters out of the back of your car trunk you oysters are?
0: <laughs> oh, i can't say but, i've ever had trunk oysters
1: <laughs> but they they were they were legit and we've been great friends with them and and partners with them they grow an oyster specifically for us and oh wow um, nice. we go out i've been out there several times and we've taken our staff out there and some chefs and it's it's awesome
0: that's awesome yeah i love that that's great. So, um, do you do a lot of aquaculture products or a lot of wild caught, or kind of a mix of both? Is there, have you seen with your guests kind of a preference for either?
1: Yeah, we do a mix of both. Um, that we actually have some fish farms here in Colorado that we, Mm -hmm. that have been, um, that are great. Um, I think
0: what are they farming out there in Colorado? Uh,
1: there, there's a couple of trout farms. There's a catfish farm, and then there's a, a hybrid bass. It's a Colorado. The it's called a Colorado uh, Colorado bass, and it's a hybrid and it's delicious. It's really really versatile. Uh, I've, cool. We've been working with them for over ten years and kind of dabble with different uh, techniques and cooking and things like that. And it's a it's a versatile fish. I really like it. Nice. nice. Um, but as far as like the menu spread, we kind of. Try to have a balance of mm-hmm. uh, wild versus aquaculture. Um, some frozen products as that technology's gotten a lot better. Um,
0: yeah, a lot of times but, frozen is more fresh than fresh. Yeah, <laughs>
1: so. with the technology on and freezing on the boats and things like yeah. that, we've seen. I've tasted a, like a lot of side by sides and been really impressed with where things have come. Um,
0: yeah, that's one thing that we've talked about before on the show, and I talk to people all the time because. You know, when you work in the seafood industry, you become like the seafood guy, right? <laughs> With all your friends and family, and they'll send you a text message and like, hey, should I get this or this? What did you...? <laughs> And uh, people always get hung up on, I'd rather get, I'd rather buy it fresh. I don't want to get it frozen. And I tell them all the time, I'm like, you know what? If you get something frozen, there's a good chance it's probably going to be more fresh and better quality than the stuff you get from the fresh case, because they that fish is out of the water and frozen solid within minutes. And it's pretty crazy. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, and I think the I'm I'm kind of in that same boat as the fish person. Um, I yeah. get a lot of those text messages and questions, which is great. But yeah, I I also feel like to, to an
0: extent. <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: I I think there's a lot of unfortunately, there's a lot of bad stuff out there. So mm-hmm. people listen to that more or, or gravitate to the bad stuff, like all fish farms are horrible and all frozen fish is horrible. So there's a Sheila, little. Uh, oh,
0: let me tell you. This is, this is my life, and this is why we started this podcast. Really, the the sexy headlines are just all negative press, and they're almost always wrong. Yeah, and it's just it's a battle that we're gonna have to fight for a long time. So.
1: Well, and I think I the, the thing that you know, you got, we all have to do our homework, especially if you do care what you're eating and where where your food's coming from. But doing that little bit of research and and knowing that there we have to we have to figure this out in the in the frozen capacity or in in aquaculture mm-hmm. just to be able to feed everybody we're going to have to utilize these techniques and there is a lot of people doing it right that's for sure
0: yeah yeah we try to that's why we have folks like you on the show you know we're trying to highlight the people that do it right and what and the choices they're making and the paths that they're taking to um, you know do what we can to make sure that we have fresh, clean, safe, sustainable seafood for years to come. So, so thank you. Yes. <laughs> you you're one of those people, so that we appreciate <laughs> that. Um all right, I mean, I don't want to keep you for too long, but there's a couple of things that I wanted to to talk about um because just because out of sheer curiosity. So, you're part of this restaurant group that helps open restaurants, right? And and manage and run restaurants. Say I come to you and I say, hey, I got all this money. I want to open a restaurant, can you help me? What is the steps that you your group would take to open a new restaurant? Say I wanted to open a seafood restaurant um, in like Milwaukee. What, what are the steps that we take to actually get that going, get that off the ground and make sure that we're doing it right, we're being responsible when we do it?
1: I think getting in there and connecting with other chefs and other restaurateurs and just getting to know people in your community. Um, kind of finding out what people are latching on to, what are important things for them in dining experiences, um, what they like to eat, um, making connections, asking them who they use as their vendors. That was a really, I mean, we kind of did this when we opened in Kansas City. Our restaurant group is based out of Colorado. And so Mm -hmm. Kansas City's about 900 miles east of us. And um, jumping into that market, it was scary because we weren't really sure. We, we weren't connected to any. It's any, unfamiliar,
0: right? You don't yeah. know the culture. You don't know what, what people are eating. You don't know what their habits are. So, yeah, I yeah. Can
1: So there was a lot of just dining out, meeting people, um, really trying to connect with the chef community there was big for me. Um, I felt like that was in, in Colorado and in Denver and Boulder, we have a really tight community and we help one another out. And so to me, like that was like if you know the chef's, you're going to get connected with their vendors and and just employees and things like that. So, Milwaukee, I, I've spent a little time there. So, same thing, just getting to know what's important to the the restaurant community and the guests dining there. Um, trying to figure out logistics of getting seafood to to that location is a big one. Um,
0: I've out. never been to Milwaukee. I, I just pulled that <laughs> just pulled that town out of out of the air, but. I just, you know, I'm, I, I'm curious what the, what steps, you know, what goes into successfully starting, starting that up. And obviously, it's a really hard time to open a restaurant right now. But, um, you know, it, it seems to me like networking is just as important in that as it is in any, anything else. You know, we always say that the seafood industry. It's a very large community. It's also a very tiny community because everybody seems to know everyone else. So, um, you know, work, working those networks and and figuring out who you know that can help you where you can add value to them and they can add value to what you're trying to do is seems pretty important
1: yeah i would say the the chef community is tight there's i mean there's hundreds of thousands of chefs right but we're all connected in some way or another and it's funny like once we get in these groups and we start talking especially in in on the blue ribbon task force for example like we're all really passionate about seafood and we were advocates for sustainability in that in that realm and so when we all get together it's it's crazy how how closely connected we are with each other and just other people along that line um it's it's like three degrees of separation if that right um, once yeah. you start talking so we've been able to to really help one another out especially like especially in the advocacy work and just spreading the the good word and and Whenever you know we, we see something happening on that front, it, it's we all band together, so that's been pretty cool.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So a um, couple more things, food related. We have a, a, some listeners, we have a base of our listeners who love to cook and they love seafood and they are trying to incorporate more seafood into their diet, which is the goal of our whole podcast is to get people to eat more responsible seafood. And so whenever we have chefs on, we like to get some little little tidbits or secrets from them, if we can, about cooking and preparing seafood. So first of all, I want to ask you, what's your favorite seafood dish?
1: Oh, wow. And it uh, doesn't need
0: to be on the Jack's menu, just in general.
1: In general, I mean, I, I love raw fish. I'm a big sushi person. Oh, yeah. I don't prepare sushi, but I just respect it, and I just love the simplicity and just how delicious it delicious it is. So that's probably my number one.
0: What's your favorite fish for sushi?
1: Oh, I love. Smoke. I'm a raw
0: salmon guy. I,
1: it's that's my husband for like sure. A, like
0: a salmon avocado roll, I could eat ten pounds of it. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um,
0: or octopus. I, I like octopus.
1: Oh, I like octopus a lot too. I I kind of move. I don't know. It changes. It's. Right. I like it all. There isn't. It's like asking
0: more. what's your favorite kid, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, uh, what's your favorite to prepare? What do you What do you enjoy preparing? What's I guess there's it's like two questions like what is your favorite to prepare and then what's easy for you? What comes naturally to you?
1: Yeah, um, I love grilling fish. Um, so See, you I'm know.
0: too scared to grill fish. Oh, really? I'm nervous to do it.
1: Well, and you like salmon? Salmon's a great fish to grill. Uh, I'm nervous
0: to overcook it. I'm not great on the grill. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> not a Not a grill master yet.
1: Um, well, you know, I do eat a lot of shellfish at home. I love like steamed clams mm-hmm. and, and muscle like the, the, that to me is a really, that I feel like that that's an easy, as far as like technique involved or anything like that, um, you're just kind of adding delicious flavor and letting them do their own thing when, once they pop open, they're ready to enjoy. So, um, I feel like that one for a home cook is pretty, pretty straightforward. Yeah. Um, it, just this time of year with warm weather and things like that, I do like to utilize the grill that's probably
0: my go-to nice so then it's hard because i don't have my co-hosts here what we've done in the past is we've done this kind of like top chef thing where we've had other chefs on and we'll we each pulled out a random ingredient we said make us a dish what would you do with it um and i i don't really want to stretch my creativity too far because it'll be totally wackadoodle if i do it by myself but say you were doing something like what's a what's a popular fish at, at jack's salmon salmon okay so say you were preparing a salmon and, and you wanted to do something different with it. What, what would you do if you, if we said, Hey, I want a salmon dish, but I don't want it to be a traditional salmon dish. I want, I want something different, something that's going to wow me a little bit. Kind of what, where would your mind go for that?
1: I've been, I, I, I love Asian food. So Asian cuisine is kind of where I always gravitate towards. Um, and I would probably make, I don't know if people have miso paste in their, in their refrigerator, but it's, it doesn't spoil, and it's it's just an it's a nice pantry item, but uh, like a nice miso glaze. Miso has a lot of umami characteristics, so adding a little bit of um, sugar and, and soy sauce to that, and you can kind of just lacquer the fish. Um, they go really well together. <laughs> um, I'm a, also a big mushroom fan, so any kind of uh, roasted mushrooms and just some simple rice or something like that would be delicious.
0: Nice. Just pop it in the oven?
1: Yeah, yeah, and you could kind of baste it.
0: Nice, I like it. Awesome. Well, that's. I won't go. I won't go too far into that. We've had ones where we've been like, okay, so how about if you did monkfish, and like Captain Crunch cereal, and <laughs> you know, like, we've we've gone kind of crazy. I think once one time we gave a guy monkfish and a Twinkie.
1: Oh my gosh. And
0: something else we said, what would you do with it? And he came up with like a Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, it was pretty what? impressive, but people did, you know, this was a guy that I think he had been on top chef and he, uh, so he, he, he's used to thinking in the yeah. really outside the box, you know, Yeah. making a Twinkie reduction or something. But, <laughs> um, yeah. So that, that's just kind of a fun little thing that we do. But I, I, I do like to get a little bit of tips from people that know what they're doing, because I think a lot of people like myself, when we go to cook, we don't really feel like we know what we're doing, so it's nice to have a couple little tips. So, what what's one last tip you would give people for for cooking or preparing seafood?
1: Um, I think it starts also with like the, the the purchase of seafood and and going to a reputable grocer and asking those questions and making sure um, that it looks and smells great and fresh. Um, and and then I think just keeping it simple. Uh, people are intimidated by cooking seafood and. I think just don't overextend yourself. Let the the seafood do the work. Um, You know, pair it with something that you really love that is also um, easy for you to execute so you can focus on the seafood itself. I think pasta is great with with what we were saying, shellfish earlier. Mm -hmm. Those are all pretty simple um, preparations and and just not overthink it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think one thing that we've learned from this is that it's, most people are more comfortable cooking a steak, but cooking a steak well is a lot more difficult than cooking a fillet of fish. So, you know, I guess choose your battles. But <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything else that you'd like to talk about while while you're on here, while you have the platform? You know, um, I'm here to talk about whatever you feel like discussing.
1: Oh man, I I think I, I mean I think we covered it. I I just like spreading the the word of of seafood, and and I'm really honored to be a part of the seafood world for as long as I have, and just been able to do a lot of really great work, at least shouting out for those of us in, in the inland states that we do care about our oceans and all the things that come from our oceans. And so that's important to me that that we're we're continuing on uh, being advocates in that realm just so that we're able to enjoy seafood for so many more years. We want, we want everyone to be able to enjoy the great stuff that we have been eating, so that's, that's a big part for me.
0: Awesome. Well, we really do appreciate you and your restaurant group having such a focus on being responsible and making sure that those fish are there for our great grandkids. Um, you know, when they're, when they're ready to start cooking and eating seafood we really appreciate that. I think that's all I got. Awesome. Um, I think you're a great example, by the way, of, of how we've talked about this before, how, how someone can get seduced by the the seafood industry and (laughs) once you're in it's hard to leave you know someone who never planned we we were saying maddie and justin never thought they would ever be in the seafood industry and they are now here and they've been here for years and they don't really have any plans of moving on it just kind of sucks you in and
1: yeah no doubt
0: doubt. um, i think yeah another great example of that (laughs) for sure anyway sheila lucero thank you so much for joining us and and dropping some knowledge bombs and some wisdom on our listeners. Really appreciate it. And uh, is there any way if people want to get in contact with you or learn more about Jack's Fish House or what's the name of the restaurant group?
1: Uh, Big Red F Restaurant Group.
0: Big Red F Restaurant. Yeah, we'll make sure we get some links to those in our show notes for sure. Um, awesome. If anyone wants to co- connect with you uh, uh, about any of that, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Through our website or I'm on Instagram at shilucero. Um, That's probably the best way.
0: Okay. Great, we'll we'll put a link to your Instagram page as well. So awesome! Um, thank you so much. We really appreciate yeah. it, and we'll we'll talk to you soon.
1: Thank you. Bye.
0: folks, that was my conversation with Sheila Lucero from Jack's Fish House. I really hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. I know I had a great time. She's a fantastic person and just a really, really welcoming and and friendly human. And I appreciate her joining me for the episode today. As I'll always remind you, remember to subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen to podcasts so you can get every new episode directly downloaded to your device as soon as it's available. Make sure you connect with us on social media at Aquademia Pod or contact us through the contact form at GlobalSeafood.org. Click the Aquademia Podcast tab and it's right there where you can contact us to uh, become a guest on the show or suggest topics, anything like that. Or just say hi. We're, we'd love to hear from you too if you just want to say hi. And then lastly, make sure that you rate and review Aquademia wherever you get your podcast, so it can help us get on some of those charts and get in front of more people so they hear the show and can engage with us and grow the community and like we said spread the gospel of sustainable responsible seafood thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next time